All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 79 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, 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 Uh, January 21st, 2018. Uh, Mike, my big question to you was, uh, was any of that necessary of what I just did? Totally. Yeah? 100%. Okay. Because you know the like on the hip hop stations, and this isn't isn't just in my town. This is on any in anybody's town. Your hip hop station, they always have those stupid blah 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 air horns for God knows what reason. Does that enhance the song? When people hear that in a rap song, do they go hell yeah? This rap song was kind of lame, but after hearing that blah blah blah, now it's now I'm ready to get <laughs> pumped. Now I'm ready to have some fun. Isn't that like old rap songs though? Like no, dude. Like they they do the, it on. They still do that. Oh yeah. What? I mean, I, I look. I know you're a huge hip hop fan, Mike. But no. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I, really, I know. But... I, know. <laughs> I don't know what kind of music you like. You told me OMD one time, and I don't know what that is. I can only. Ass- I don't remember saying OMD. I don't know what you're talking about. You said so, uh or no uh, OAR. A O A O R. Okay, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that musical genre is, but... Uh, AOR is um, a particular genre from the 80s. It's called album-oriented rock. That sounds like some old man sitting in the dentist office waiting uh, room. Actually not, no. Sitting in, it, the, sitting like, in the waiting room at C- or going to CVS, doing some light no. shopping, and that's the music no, they play. No, that's kind of what it sounds like, but uh, that, the name, but that's not at all what it's like. It, it's pretty cool. Um, it's a lot of soundtrack music from the 80s is technically Peter Cetera. I guess you could consider that. Kenny Loggins. Yes. I like Kenny Loggins. I like a lot of soundtrack music and stuff like that. I really like Highway to the Danger Zone. I think that's a classic song. I mean, just Danger Zone. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit, man. I, I, I we're, Talk about being off track. Welcome to Un- Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, everybody. This is a podcast where we talk about the show Unsolved Mysteries, but not only Unsolved Mysteries, but on this episode, it's only Unsolved Mysteries. Can, you can consider supporting us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And, uh, you know, if you like it and what you're hearing so far, then you're going to want to support us on Patreon because there's a whole lot more of aimless chit chat where that came from. Um, you can like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. But I would prefer, excuse me, sir, as I'm tapping you on the shoulder, I'll even tap on the mic here. See if that works. If that's not annoying, I don't know. Excuse me, sir. Can you please go to our Facebook group instead, which is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries? It's a lot better than the fan page, uh, a lot more interactive, so on and so forth. And Mike fucked up the spelling of uh, our logo at the top of the page. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, he will have fixed it. But uh, it, it was Uncovering c- c- Unexplained Mysteries. Like he, uh, he's Roger Daltrey all of a sudden singing My Generation. Or something with his like st- stammering there, uncovering. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, do all that, and um, yeah, I guess let's get into some fucking unsolved mysteries. We didn't even talk about the order that we're doing this in. Uh, let's let's go ahead and do. Uh, I don't know. 
What's the, what's the stronger one? Crystal Spencer's a stronger segment, so you want to do yeah, that first? Yeah, it's a first, strong or? segment. So I, I mean, we could save it for last. Oh, it's okay. We'll save it for last. So um, we're going to go into the um, the UFO healing segment on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, now, this is a segment that... Well, I love UFOs. Mike loves UFOs. We both love UFOs. There's a reason why we haven't talked about this segment yet. It is. It could have very well went into our worst unsolved mystery segment. We were thinking about putting it in the worst, but then like we didn't. So yeah, well, it, it, what happened. it belongs in there because this is a. Uh, not only is it short, but it it has very little to do with ufos and it has more to do with like miracles i guess like it should have i don't know this one's like a toss-up on like where they could have categorized it in the genre of, of unsolved mysteries so they they did on the ultimate box set collection they did put it in the ufo um like dvd portion but to me it's kind of more of a miracle because the ufo thing that could have been like a delusion on this lady's part you know but it was a miraculous recovery more than a UFO story. But uh, as far as Unsolved Mysteries UFO cases going, we, we scraped the bottom of the barrel because I blew my entire load in the earlier episodes uh, talking about all the cases I wanted to get out of the way because I didn't know how long we were going to do this podcast for. So I wanted to talk about Roswell and... Um, you know, Allagash abductions and like all my favorite, you know, Black Hope curse, all my favorite uh, segments from Unsolved Mysteries at the very beginning. So I kind of did that. So anyway, um, former council, uh, former. Okay, let me try that again. Former county councilwoman and new Smyrna Beach resident Lynn Plaskett was one of the most respected members of her community. In 1981, Lynn was watching a TV show about UFOs, which featured a clip from the Mike Douglas show, which is a show I have no recollection of whatsoever. Yeah, I don't either. Like, that's probably like some crazy old school show. Right yeah, it's probably like the um, the the Dick Cavett show, you know, like he was like a big yeah. he was a big deal, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And then he just kind of fell off. And now, like, nobody my age knows who Dick Cavett is. His show is actually really funny, though. Like, they, they show reruns on this um, channel that I get for free with my antenna or whatever. And uh, he, he was a really funny host or whatever. But anyway, she's watching this show in 1981 called The Mike Douglas Show. And during the broadcast, and this is, this is probably the weirdest part about this whole segment. During the broadcast, she heard a sound that was supposed to be that of an alien spacecraft. And for her, it triggered a deep-seated memory. Quote, quoting Lynn here, when this sound came across the TV, I sat straight up in my seat. Chills came over my whole body. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's the same sound I heard that night in my room. And that's when I knew for sure that that experience actually happened to me. By all accounts, Lynn Plaskett should have died in 1975. She was 24 years old, recently separated from her husband, raising a, her three-year-old son on her, on her own. Then a routine examination threw her life into turmoil. There was a carcinoma found on her uterus, and they needed to put her into surgery immediately. According to Lynn, quote, Even though I didn't want to have children anymore at the time, when they talk about taking everything you have, as a woman, in parentheses, I'll insert that in there. She's talking about taking your vagina. Uh, when they start... Uh, not not your vagina, just taking the uterus. No, they take everything. It just becomes, oh. a, it just becomes a blank void down there after. <laughs> it, 
Wow. You become some you weird, wild, and crazy stuff. But yeah, she they found this carcinoma on her uterus, and they they were having to. Uh, well, they they were talking about maybe having to uh, give her a hysterectomy. So during a pre-surgery exam, Lynn's doctor made a disturbing discovery. Uh, I love the reenactment. He's just kind of like feeling on her. And I think her face is just kind of like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is he touching me? And he like kind of like <laughs> pushes her gown back a little by her collarbone, you know, and it's like, oh, is this, is this about to get sensual? But then there turns out to be like a big lump near her collarbone. And the doctor's like, how long have you had that? And she's like, oh, I don't know. If it's like an extremely rare form of cancer that affects the T cells. Yeah, and like for me, if 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 the um if the doctor brushed back the gown on and and, and revealed some lump on my collarbone and asked me how long have I had that, I'm not gonna respond with a oh I don't know. I'm gonna be like, oh shit, a doctor's asking me about a big lump on me. It's cancer, I'm gonna die. Yep. Like you know, lumps are, uh, they shouldn't typically be anywhere on your body, um, especially if they're large, but could be a cyst. You never know. Uh, this is incredibly disgusting, what I'm about to say, but um, my good friend, for the longest time, had a big old lump on his collarbone, and, and it actually just was a big-ass cyst. It, it's disgusting to even think about. And to think that there are people on you uh, who go on YouTube and look up videos of people popping those i can't i just can't i can't mike just don't even don't even let me disallow me to any well i can't i can't i don't understand uh, why that's a popular youtube thing either i mean that's just disgusting oh but apparently God. for some people it like gives them some sort of release or something uh, makes me yeah. want to throw up just now even thinking about it remember that one time i popped my <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that in the middle of our podcast and I edited it out. Anyway, uh, during a pre-surgery, Lynn's doctor found that she um, had that lump on her um, collarbone. Um, Lynn's doctor decided to take a biopsy of the growth at the same time he performed the uh, uterine biopsy. And quoting Lynn here, upon coming out of surgery, the doctor said, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is you don't need to have a hysterectomy. And I said, oh, that's great. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news was it turned out that the lump on Lynn's neck was a T-cell lymphoma. It's an extremely rare form of cancer where only three known cases at the time, and they were all in the U.S., and all three were newborns, and all three died within months. Quoting Lynn here, The doctor told me that in their opinion at that time that I had three months to live. This had infiltrated my lungs, my liver, and my understanding at the time was that it had pretty much engulfed my entire body except my stomach and my brain, but even that they were unsure of. It's amazing that she's still able to function with all of that cancer. Yeah, right? Going through her, like running through her right now and just taking her completely over. I can't believe the only physical manifestation of any of that was just this little lump. Like, that was it. Just a little lump on the uh, collarbone. And, and what are the chances? Especially the fact that, like, it only has happened to, like, newborns. Like, that's that's a really raw deal. That's a t yeah, total to raw say, deal. Yeah, to say the least. Um, God hates us all! To quote Slayer. <laughs> um, that afternoon, Lynn's doctor allowed her to go home, provided she would return the next day. When she got home, Lynn's son had been taken out for the day by her sister. Quote, and that was when it all hit me. I started crying for my three-year-old son, and I thought, you know, he is too young. 
The only thing that he'll remember is that I left him. In the midst of her anguish, Lynn experienced an episode that was nothing short of astonishing. Yeah, you can say that again, Rob. Uh, quote, I heard what sounded like an electrical or buzzing sound, and then the room started filling up with a fog-like smoke. Now, this is when the bullshit meter went from zero to 60 in under a few seconds here. Um, Lynn then uh, said she started to feel herself being levitated from the bed into the air. Quote, it was not a frightening experience, even though I didn't know what was happening to me. It was actually kind of pleasant. Next, Lynn says the truly extraordinary happened. Quoting Lynn here, a small disc-shaped object about eight <laughs> inches in diameter. Extraordinary, extraordinarily hilarious thing happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you watch this segment, you're not expecting this at all. And then all of a sudden, this tiny, crappy CGI UFO floats in through the window. It's just a little guy. It's just a little mi- <laughs> little, little guy. little mini, little hamburger size UFO. Ti- just a little tiny guy comes in through the little window there. Uh, so she says a small disc-shaped object about eight inches in diameter came in through her open window. It had a raised portion on the top and multicolored lights. It went from my head and passed down to my feet. It never actually touched me. It felt almost as if it were examining me. And as far as I can remember, I just rolled over and went to sleep. I never uh, got up and never thought, oh my God, what was that? Just automatically felt so relaxed. I just rolled over and went to sleep. When (laughs) When I woke up the next morning, I just felt revived. I just knew I was going to be all right. That part is hilarious, too. It's like, ah, you know, I didn't really didn't freak out or anything. I, I just rolled over and went to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah, that that that's not an uncommon UFO um, like post abduction like symptom to just be like tired and, and want to sleep or, or whatever. Uh, well, it happened with the typically after an abduction, people don't freak out. It's only later when they start having like nightmares and they start having. No, but this doesn't seem like it was an abduction, though. No, it, it wasn't an abduction, like... but it was. If you if you are to believe her story, I should say, which I don't. But if you are to believe her story, it's an encounter. It's not an abduction, but it is a close, I guess, encounter of the second kind, of the third kind. I don't know if it's a third kind because an, an alien being didn't actually. Well, maybe there's a little tiny green men. That, you, that you know what? You might be right. There might be little, little tiny little guys in that thing. <laughs> Just watching her through their little tiny windows. That would be fucking adorable. Like, something tells me, though. Little mini grays. Yeah, little tiny. Little mini, <laughs> Just pick up. Like the ones that would be on your keychain, like the keychains yeah. that people used to get yeah you just pluck them out of their little craft you're like oh i'm gonna name you terry and you just like keep them in a little thimble (laughs) but something tells me though if if those things their intelligence has probably surpassed ours if they can like do this whole fucking like spinal tap intro into your room with the fog and everything (laughs) this is a spinal tap little tiny stone head yeah this is a spinal (laughs) tap episode as far as i'm concerned with how how just how silly Mm. it is um anyway remarkably just days after lynn's first treatment x-rays showed a malignant tumor in lynn's chest had shrunk in size four months later lynn was in total remission for all intents and purposes Lynn, lynn was cancer free and has been ever since to Lynn, there was no doubt in her mind that she was cured by visitors from outer space. Quoting Lynn, 
the way they explained it to me was that, you know, this medical, uh, this is medical journal type healing. It was phenomenal to them. And my doctor explained to me that in his opinion, uh, his opinion was that 99% of my cure was in my mental attitude. I mean, what else could it be? Um, I, I should mention before that um, she had went into the, a rigorous uh, chemotherapy program. Yeah. Uh, I forgot till I left out that detail on this. And, and this was also really early on. In, it was like in the 70s. Yeah. So there wasn't as much of a catalog or a, a list of cases when it comes to this type of cancer or cancer in general and its effect and chemotherapy and, and uh, the effect of chemotherapy on cancer patients. So it's one of those things where there wasn't as much information as we have now. Yeah. So it might not be that unheard of that the rigorous chemotherapy she went under is why she was able to beat it. Um, there have been cases where where people have had went on to re- rigorous chemotherapy chemotherapy sessions that words stumping me for some reason today. Rigorous chemotherapy sessions, and they have ended up surviving a diagnosis that a lot of doctors were like, well you don't have that much of a chance to live. And there, are, of course, are people who who associate that with a, a miracle, and, and, and that's cool, that's fine. But there are there is a percentage uh, out there where the chemotherapy ends up working for somebody. And for other people, it doesn't sometimes. Actually, a lot of times, if it's, it's really advanced, then, yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm more inclined to believe that it was chemotherapy, uh, not a little tiny dinner plate UFO with mini grays inside. I just I could suspend I could suspend my disbelief a lot with this show. But that that's one of the ones where I'm like, yeah n- no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, and and Maybe it, she was hallucinating uh, with uh, some of the drugs she might have been asked to take for her cancer treatment or something like that. And she hallucinated some spaceship that flew in through a window. The doc- or maybe it did happen. Maybe we're all a bunch of insensitive, ignorant assholes. And uh, there really was a dinner plate UFO <laughs> and um, l- little green men. And little grays inside of it. A UFO junior, I think, is what they're... Sp- <laughs> That's the politically correct term. Um, yeah, the doctor was kind of a... I mean, I guess he was being just brutally honest because he, like, tells her at one point, she goes, my doctor told me even if I took the experimental drugs, I would never see my 26th birthday. The effects of these drugs would make my bones so brittle that I would be an old woman in a young woman's body. So the doctor was just putting the fear of God in her about, yeah, not only do you have cancer, but the effects of this thing is good, just gonna, it's just gonna fuck you up. Which I mean, I guess yeah. as a doctor, you know, you, you have to be real with people about these kind of things, which is just. But I mean, that does lend some credence to her UFO theory because she took the drugs, right, and then it didn't fuck her up. So. Well, I guess she hadn't been on it long enough. I mean, it, it, it that's how quickly um, the yeah, healing okay. took place to where she wasn't on it long enough to where it could really uh, do all that 
Um, so there. I just the whole UFO thing. It just I'm very skeptical of it because I've never heard of any other story like this with UFOs. Yeah, and why would the UFO? Why would the UFOs or the aliens just pick her? What about all the other people who are suffering and could use some UFO healing? This is a one-time thing. <laughs> oh, let's help out this this random woman we don't even know. Let's cure her of her cancer, and then everyone else who needs to needs a cure to cancer. Ah, fuck them. So, according to uh, Doctor Walter Durkin, an Ormond Beach oncologist who, in 1975, worked at the University of Southern California teaching teaching hospital across town, he is not a believer. He says, "Quote." Back then, we had reasonably good treatment for lymphoma. Uh, lymphomas are very chemotherapeutically sensitive. Uh, today, about 90% of lymphoma patients go into remission and half are cured for good, he said. Um, would a four-day turnaround seem unusual to him? He says no, not at all. Um, cancer patients given little time to live often don't know how to explain it if they... If if or when they suddenly get better, Durkin said, they often fill that gap in their understanding with quote-unquote recollections of miracles or strange encounters. What she should be doing is encouraging people to get treatment because her doctor is the one who cured her, Durkin said. <laughs> just, he's, just, he's, not, he's not trying to fuck around with any of this UFO stuff. He's like, nope, definitively not shut down, you know... And yeah, just matter of fact, the, just total matter of fact, you know, ju just the facts, man. No such thing as medical miracles um, in, in, in his mind, which in my mind there are, but a tiny UFO. Yeah, I don't think so. I think psychologically you go into this like kind of state of protection or disbelief when you're uh, 24 years old and you're set, told that you have a few months to live with this rare cancer. I think anything can kind of any kind of crazy thing can happen in your mind. Um, when you become better, you want to attribute it to that because in your mind, it seems like a miracle. Um, but I mean, I guess even back in the 70s, they had pretty good treatment for this stuff. But at the same time, um, you know, they're talking about this T-cell lymphoma, which is a, I don't know the whole family of lymphomas, but um, apparently it was so rare that only newborns had it and they died from it. But newborns have completely different body makeups than adults do. So uh, cancer that would kill a child, hell, um, Insects like like ant killer or whatever that would kill a baby, but it wouldn't kill an adult because your liver and all the these you know things that cleanse well, the it, bloodstream. Well, it'll kill you eventually if, if if you get a high enough dose. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like a small. Not that yeah, I've that, killed. That's I, why. This sounds like I've killed a lot of newborns with what, the ant yeah, killer. Too. Yeah, I what, what are you hiding? I haven't done any field studies, okay? But I'm just saying that like the little kids, like if they did die from this T cell lymphoma, and the adult did not. We don't need another Swango, Josh. I, I'm you don't not, need to be the next Swango over here. Look, me and Swango <laughs> will do the Wango Tango in in my <laughs> Fandango, but until then. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what any of that was. Um, so she, we, segment basically ends with her saying, if you believe in something, no proof is necessary. And if you don't, no proof is sufficient. I believe without that experience, I would not be here at all. Even taking the chemotherapy, I believe I would not be here talking to you right now. And um, I was able to find an article from uh, the church of ufology.blogspot.com. Yeah. And um, she's still alive as of January 2013. 
So, and she's apparently still doing her thing. And she's got, like, all these kids now. Um, where was it? Um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, the doctor who told Lynn she could never have children. Well, Lynn has four sons and two daughters who are adults now. And she has four grandchildren and one great-grandchild. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad she's doing well for herself. I mean, I don't necessarily buy the whole tiny ufo thing but i'm glad she's still alive and glad she had a family and things like that yeah so good for her but a very silly segment and the uh actual showing of the ufo coming in through the window uh it's pretty laughably bad but yes you know it's like they chose to take on this story so they knew at some point we're gonna have to program a little miniature ufo flying into a window at some point in this episode like that's what my life is going to be as a graphic designer on Unsolved Mysteries. It, yeah, it was. It was. They should have just had like a miniature UFO, like a, a remote control model or something. That would have been more effective. They did it completely in CGI, in like late '90s CG. That shit was a new toy for them, for people back then. It was overused everywhere. I feel like for the most part in the late '90s, especially in the yeah. in the 2000s. Good lord. I want to correct myself on had a family, you know, because like, of course, she had a family beforehand, uh, but she had a had kid was able to have some kids and things like that. So I think that's that's wonderful. And she passed on all of her cancer having genes to all of them. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. And the connection with the the mini UFOs. Like, how, how do we know that may, maybe they keep visiting her? You know what's weird? How I, what I can actually relate to her on this is like she heard that weird noise on the TV and it, it reminded her of uh, of her UFO experience. Um, sometimes like I'll hear like the brown note in music, like the note that's so low, uh, it may, uh-huh. it actually makes me take a shit. So I I can relate to her in that. <laughs> now For the UFO, the little UFOs, it reminds me of uh, the movie Batteries Not Included, which had these little tiny. UFOs that would fly around. So I'm, I'm wondering if she had seen that movie before. Mike, if you had to wager a large sum of money on if I had seen that movie or not, what would you wager on? I'm not. I don't make bets. So uh, you could you could have been a wit- rich man just then, buddy. You could have yeah, been know, a really I rich man. I, 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 I know. I know you didn't see it. So, but <laughs> I, I just I don't make bets. Mike, just give me a fucking ballpark on how many movies you've seen in your life. I know I've asked you this before uh, on the podcast, and you haven't been able to, you know. But there's there's way too many. Like I can't. Are we talking like thousands? Easily. Oh my goodness, Mike! I've seen twenty movies in my entire life, and it's more than that. I've seen a list you you shared with me. Three of those movies were the Porky's movies, so that tells you a little <laughs> bit about my character. <laughs> yeah, and that you like uh, you're into those movies where. These horny teenagers are uh, essentially stalking the the women and getting uh, peeks at their nude bodies. In Jesus, Mike, such gruesome <laughs> descriptions. I, we're so sensitive now that like you can't even describe a mo- like a movie like that without me being a. Fa- I'm triggered right now. Like I, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. G- well, to be honest, Porky's kind of does not hold up as you watch that now and you're like wow a, a comedy about a bunch of uh, voyeurs a-hole teenagers who are stalking women and uh getting sneak peeks 
I've actually never seen any of the Porky's movies. I just thought it'd be a funny reference <laughs> to throw in. All right, uh, that's. I wonder why we get one star reviews. Moving on, our next case is that <laughs> like Porky's. That has nothing to do. With. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like as far as this podcast being a time capsule, this is not going to be a good representation of who I was as a person. <laughs> what am I? Who am I? Ta- who am I kidding? This is going to be like a very accurate description of who I am as a person, and that's a sad thing. Maybe I just don't like who I am. Um, this is this next pick that we're going to talk about is sticking with the theme of um, scantily clad, if not naked women. Uh, There's a case of <laughs> Crystal Spencer. Yep, Crystal Spencer. Old Spency Poo, <laughs> as she liked to be called, that I just made up. Now, Crystal Spencer, it, this is a case that I think I picked for one segment before, but I don't think we got around to doing it. Or it was one of those where we did do it, but then the audio was so bad that we just had to not do it. I don't think we ever did it, Mike. Sucks. It, it, I, I, I vaguely remember it. So um, this one is about Crystal Lean Spencer, who uh, it's a case of unexplained death. They don't explain this on the um, unsolved, but. Um... Like, I love the beginning of the segment, and I actually have to write this line out. So they, the segment opens up with Robert Stack on top of a building, like, overlooking what appears to be Sunset Strip to me in Hollywood. Yeah, the, the man's Chinese cedars in the background and everything. Of course you would know that. Yeah, so, like, I just love that imagery of Stack on a fucking building with his trench coat, and it's nighttime, and it, there's, like, a, a city street below him. Like, that is quintessential... Uh, Robert Stack. At, yeah, it's great at, because it's, it's he's in Hollywood. Yeah, so he's he's back where he started and um, where he ultimately became famous enough to get the job to host Unsolved Mysteries. And he delivers the line: "Hollywood, California, the Dream Factory, the fantasy land of myth and legend, fueled by the tantalizing fable that anyone can become famous overnight." I love that line. That is a great line. So, Crystal Lane Spencer was raised in a small northern California town. At 17, she dropped out of high school and took a job to help help support the family. In the summer of 1982, she moved to Los Angeles to chase her Hollywood dream. But she soon realized that stardom was not so easy to come by. Crystal reluctantly took a job as an exotic dancer to pay her bills, which is a politically correct term for stripper. Really. Which which Robert Stack says in the segment, you know, he goes, On a good night, she cleared up to $400 in tips, but Crystal never fully accepted the fact that she was, in essence, a stripper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Put her in her place, Rob. Tell her what yeah, she you're is. you're a stripper. <laughs> I can just imagine all these acting like they're exotic dancers. They're strippers. In my day, they were strippers. And only strippers. (laughs) According to Crystal's friend, Patty Jo Milhouse. What a name. Oh, Milhouse. uh, (laughs) Can I borrow a feeling? The fact bothered Crystal. She would just start crying. Like she felt degraded about herself of what she'd done. You got to do what you have to do to pay the bills, to make ends meet. I mean... I'd say for women, like the stripping option, that's like the um, that's like the nuclear option, like the thi- yeah. like the last resort thing. 
I wish some of them actually end up liking it though. Yeah, oh, yeah, make absolutely. A shit ton of money and end up paying for college. So yeah, sure. I mean, who who cares? If I mean, in my opinion, it's like if it bothers her, all right, that's that's too bad. I wish she was in a different career, but if it's a woman who's stripping for a living and then going to college, I'm not going to judge that woman. She's making more money than I am, <laughs> and if she's happy with it. Fine with me. I don't think it's that offensive. It's all about the mindset. I do karaoke at a gay bar, and uh, on Friday <laughs> they pay you know me money, and the money is not gay, so I'm okay with it. Um, no, I'm. Just... They pay you money to strip? No, they don't pay me money to strip. I'm getting <laughs> to my point. Um, like when I'm there, obviously I'm younger. And, um, the particular bar that I host karaoke at is a bear bar, so it's like old, you know, hairy gay men and um i didn't i did not know that was a term really i did not know that existed yeah bear and yeah that's that's yeah that's that's been around for a while like bears um you have bears and then you have otters which are uh younger <laughs> uh to my understanding less hairy but uh the bears tend to like the otters from my understanding i would be an otter technically if i were gay <laughs> um wow okay but you know i do get cat called and i do get technically sexually harassed up there on a weekly fucking basis uh not they don't like touch me but like you know the stuff they say and the staring and i'm pretty sure i saw a guy last friday sneakily taking a picture of me with his phone he had his phone up perfectly like vertical and he was staring at me and he was like kind of squinting at his screen and uh, I was just like, ah, oh, god damn it! <laughs> so they're eyeing you like man candy. Yeah. So and and it and it does feel shitty sometimes. Like, but I think you get to a, yeah. you get to kind of get to a point to where at first it's re it is really degrading, but at first, but as time goes on, you just kind of like brush it off, and you're just like, yep, well, this is what they're gonna do. But to like actually like skimp down into my uh, my underwear and dance around enticing these same people, I yeah, I don't think I could do that even for good money so that was just the chippendales thing maybe though right yeah but uh, you know <laughs> well that that brings up a, a valid point because <laughs> i am attracted to women so if i was to do that in front of women who are ogling me and grabbing my ass and stuff i don't think i would really care and some oh but what if it's like a gross 60 year old woman still <laughs> it would not bother me but again i think you could make the <laughs> argument that at the end of the day, I know that I can overpower most any woman or group of women if it came down to them cornering me in a back alley or something. And that's something that women don't, they don't get that luxury with men, you know, like, so I could see how it would, and men, dude, men are like much more forward and um, just, a, I don't know, abrasive in their approach, I guess, could being at this gay bar, like they are just unashamed to just stare at your ass and it's um so yeah it is it is a different thing you can't really compare the two but i tried my best so screw you <laughs> no i think i think there's a little bit of a comparison to be to be made for sure because it's the same sort of you feel like you're being violated in terms of how people are approaching you and looking at you and doing all this ogling and so forth um but I think there are there are some women who they get into that field and at first they might feel that way, but then they start to feel confident in themselves and then it doesn't really matter to them. 
Mike, if, um, if I if you're ever around me in person and you're wearing those knee socks, there's no promises that I won't be ogling you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this this is definitely an awkward podcast. <laughs> yeah, pretty awkward. Not one of our best. I'm just saying right now, I'm giving this one a C so far. <laughs> you guys be the judge. Uh so anyway. In May of 1987, friends invited Crystal to a barbecue. She was eager to socialize with people who might help her with her acting career. It was there that she met Anton Klein. There was something very alluring and compelling about Crystal that would readily catch your oh, eye. Yeah, let me jump in on she, let me jump in on this. Yeah, Anton Klein, this guy creeps me the fuck out. Anton Klein looks like he's like in his mid to mid 50s to early 60s first of all. And he's and he's on this segment saying there was there was uh, First of all, let me just say, Anton Klein, <laughs> he comes off as the kind of guy who has never laughed in his entire life. He is the most serious interviewee I have ever seen on Unsolved Mysteries. Just stone-faced, dead serious. He's got, like, a hint of awkwardness in him. He's kind of, like, this, like, more skinny, like, he, he looks dignified. He's, like, a dignified-looking older dude. He looks, like, intelligent. He's, like, wearing a suit. He's the exact opposite of Mike Morris. I don't know why they kept ringing Moon Pie Face, but this guy looks so serious, like he's never laughed in his life, so uptight, so stuffy, he needs to smoke a joint, and I don't normally say that to people, but this guy needs to smoke a joint, and he's sitting here saying something very alluring and compelling about Crystal. Yeah, she's like 30 years younger than you, and she's hot. That's what's compelling and alluring about her. You have nothing in well, common with this girl, you just want to be hitting a hot young thing, you want to be hitting that, that's all it boils down to. You old bastard. I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, well, how would you put it, Mike? I I, I think she does have a personality. It's not just because of how attractive she is. Well, I mean, the actress in this is, I thought, did a really good job playing this bubbly uh, young girl with like this brilliant personality. And. That is, I, I think, you know, the luring thing, of course, because he's attracted to her. But the compelling part, I think, is is her personality. Because he's attracted to her. <laughs> but, all, but, not, but also, she has a good personality. How, so, I mean, how would you... Okay. She's got personality and charisma. She's not... She's the complete opposite of him. Anytime... This is, like, there's a, there's a social taboo here. And I, I'm glad that you picked this case because it, I, I get a chance to kind of speak on this. There's always a social taboo... When an older person dates a younger person. Now, in the case of an, an older man uh, or a older woman dating a younger man, well, in both cases, it's usually the older person is, is just kind of looking to exploit the younger person um, just for their physical appearance and the sex and whatever. Uh, and then the younger person is usually looking to exploit the older person for financial gain, prestige, Whatever. There's always some kind of not always, but usually some kind of yeah, not always of of exploitation. I mean, there might be some instances where it's legitimately a legitimate relationship. But most people, like even in your community in your city that you live in, when you see an older man dating someone who's thirty years younger or thirty years her senior, as they like to say, if you want to sound fancy, there's always mutterings and whisperings that. Oh yeah, you know he's that's that's her sugar daddy, you know like it, yeah, that's just how it is in society. 
And I kind of agree with that. I just feel like chronologically, if you're, you should kind of be around with someone around your age. I mean, just speaking from experience, um, I mean, not experience as, a, as a, an I've had, but like experience in life, you know, a 40 year old is going to have a different set of goals and realities in their life than a 20 year old is. That's just a fact. A 20 year old depends on whether or not the 40 year old actually grew up. Yeah, well, who the fuck wants to be going around dating a Michael Jackson ass 40 year old like weirdo who hasn't grown up yet? You know, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, some people are like that. They're into that. Mike, it sounds like you're wanting to justify your inevitable dating. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just stripper. I'm just playing. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Fair, That's all fair enough. We always need a devil's advocate with my crazy ass opinions. But I'm just saying <laughs> that like. I'm just saying that, like, if, you, if okay, me being 29 years old right now, you know, I, I have a house, I have rent that I have to pay, I got bills, I got a job, I got certain goals that I am uh, working towards. I've, I've gone, I've aged out of my party phase, my wild man whore phase, you know, so I'm going to want to talk to somebody who's kind of in that same area as me. I'm not going to want to talk to somebody who is just getting into drinking, just getting into their drug phase, just getting into their party phase. And that typically tends to be around somebody's 20s or early 20s, especially. So I'm just asking this cultured guy who's taken the stripper to all these like operas and this that and the other. What is he really looking for? Besides just a, a hot, wild, good time, a romp around the sack with this hot, young, you know, 20-something. That's just, that's all I'm saying. I just don't think that he was in it for the right reasons, you know. He thinks that he can culture her, which is what he was trying to do. Oh, let me, let me impose my lifestyle onto you and what he should have been doing. Well, well maybe she, maybe she was interested in that kind of thing. Remember, she wants to be an actress. So she wants to be a part of that life. I think I think it goes both ways, Josh. I don't think it's just him taking advantage of her. I think she also went along with it because she knew that he was some aspiring screenwriter. Because he, he had was a money. PhD candidate. Not not just money, because she wanted to be an actress. He was a, a screenwriter. PhD. He had a lot of money. And he was a yeah. screenwriter. He could do things for her. They were taking advantage of each other. It had nothing to do with love. <laughs> or as Tina Turner might say, What's love got to do, got to do with it? Yeah. That's that's my opinion. And I am sticking I am sticking <laughs> to that, you one-star reviewing people. I am, you NPR car talk listening motherfuckers. I am sticking <laughs> to that opinion. I don't care how controversial you may think it is. So there was something very alluring and compelling about Crystal that would readily catch your eye. She knew that she would become not only an actress, but she, she would become a very famous actress. And it was just a matter of time. I don't know about that. but Because um, there's a lot of people like Crystal who go to Hollywood, they go to L.A., they give up everything. And there's a reason why they call it the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's not really, yeah, it's a cliched statement. But it's true. Oh, well, that that line that he's given us, that's the same line he was giving her, that line of BS. He was like, oh, yeah, baby, you're going to be the biggest star in Hollywood after I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, with the dirty ass fingernails. Actually, he he looks like he probably had really clean fingernails. He looked like he had I don't probably had very manicured fingernails. You hate this guy, don't you? I don't hate him. <laughs> I just think he's a fucking creep. On it, to be honest, I think he's one of these intellectual types that like. Well, no, I I'm I'm into culture and art, but really he's just a sex pervert. <laughs> I'm I'm. Teach their own. I'm not gonna, you know, make any accusations like that because I don't really know for sure. So Anton Klein was an aspiring screenwriter and PhD candidate. He and Crystal came from totally different backgrounds, but they soon fell in love. Anton took it upon himself to help Kristen broaden her horizons with his penis. Anton says he introduced her to art galleries, <laughs> museums, and concerts. She loved classical music. She loved fine art. She loved all these things before. She wanted to know more about these other wonderful things of life that she had never been exposed to before. She didn't have the money. Anton had no idea that Crystal worked as a stripper. She walked a fine line, discovering art and culture by day and working Hollywood's dark side by night. Patty Joe said Crystal did her best to keep her night job a secret. Crystal loved Anton very much. She was very scared about him finding out, and she said, well, I better quit dancing before he finds out. Finally, four months after they met, Anton says he found out about Crystal's other life. A neighbor saw her dancing at the club by the airport where she worked, and he said, I saw that girl on stage. I said, no, you couldn't have. He said, that was her. Of course it was her. And I was shocked. According to Patty Joe, Anton forgave Crystal. He was very upset, but he said it was okay. He accepted it, which shocked her, and she didn't know what to say. I mean, that's, that's actually a pretty nice thing that he did there. I mean... A lot, if he was really as, as stuck up as you think, I don't think he'd accept that. Of course he There'd would accept of course he would accept it. He this man is desperate to hold on to that young piece of tail no matter what. He's not gonna Well, I mean if you if he was as stuffy as you think he is, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of stuffy people, they don't they aren't flexible. It doesn't matter if it's a hot piece of ass or not. This is a not this is a stuffy period. man with no influence, though. If he was a stuffy man with influence, like you know Trump or some shit, who who might? How do you know he doesn't have influence? He has a PhD. You know he's a screenwriter. Yeah, but have you? His name is Anton. Yeah, when's the last movie you, you, that was screenwritten by Anton Klein? I can't. Well, I know he. I, I... <laughs> that's the influence I'm talking about. Like that's the influence. You, you are really railing this guy. Well, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. That's just the reality of the situation, dude. It's like he's with this like hot young twenty something, and yeah, he's 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 gonna hold on to. I mean, she could have said I killed somebody, and he would have been like, that, that's okay. We can we can handle this. I I don't know about that. I, I I'm I'm dude. I've known a lot of Antons in my life. They're just desperate <laughs> and lonely, and they want some arm candy so they will put up with anything to keep it to keep it going i mean i could be completely wrong and anton if you're still alive which i doubt you are because you're like 50 in this segment uh i apologize actually no he looks like he eats like carrots and kale and that's all he eats ever so he's probably is still alive and probably healthier than me um and he looks like he might be a litigious fellow too so i apologize in advance anton <laughs> i'm just i'm just assuming um and these are just my opinions but um, yeah, no, I, it does not surprise. Not my opinions. I, I don't. I don't. You're, share the you're, same you're like the fucking. You're like the Teflon Don over here. You're like nothing sticks to me, bitch. I didn't. I didn't agree with anything Josh ever said. I always had this, these very diplomatic responses to any of these people. So on Wednesday, uh, May fourth, nineteen eighty-eight, Crystal was homesick with the flu. 
Anton stopped by and they talked about an offer she had received to work in Japan. The next night, Anton said he spoke to Crystal on the phone and she said she was feeling better. The conversation lasted about 15 minutes. I said, I'll be in touch. And she said, okay. And I hung up the phone and that was the last time I ever spoke with her. Three days later, Anton tried to reach Crystal by phone, but he kept getting a busy signal. An operator told him the receiver was off the hook. Anton said he just assumed that Crystal had left for Japan without saying goodbye. I was expecting any day to receive a very excited phone call from Crystal saying, it's wonderful here, and said I got a phone call from the Burbank Police Department. She was also willing willing to let her go to Japan and be gone for a while. Yeah, I don't think he's controlling. I, I just think that he's he's uh he's kind of a cuck. Yeah, I, that's that's <laughs> on, on Friday thir- on Friday the thirteenth. I had a hard time saying that because it's unbelievable that that's that's when that's the exact date when her body was discovered in, in her apartment is on Friday the thirteenth on May nineteen eighty eight. Police had discovered Crystal's decomposed body in her apartment. She appeared to have been dead for almost a week. Anton Klein was questioned, of course, because he was connected with her. They at first just said she was found dead at her apartment, and then wanted to know when I had last seen her. And I said I last saw her Wednesday. They asked, and how was she? I said, well, she had a cold. And then they said they believe she died of natural causes, which I'm like, what? I don't buy that, because she'd been in the, her body had decomposed, and had been in the apartment for a week, and you're able to determine that already? Yeah, the, uh, you know, like when I was talking about last week about how sometimes the police are cutting up swatches of carpet to search for dried blood underneath. And then other times they're just like, eh, you know, see, they're dead. Case closed. This is definitely one of those cases where the cops were just like, eh, you know, people die. You know, you, you don't live forever. I'm not going to live forever. We're, we're all going to die someday. And and uh, it was her time and case closed that it really felt like they were just kind of like very lack they're just breezing through this one just rushing through this case very lackadaisical on this uh investigation and i'll say another thing i don't think anton did it i don't think anton had anything to do with the death of the the of this chick i wanted i think he wanted her alive as long as possible he probably would have maybe tried to marry her or something yeah so see so an, an autopsy revealed no trace of drugs or alcohol in Crystal's system there were no obvious signs of foul play or suicide the coroner ruled that her death was a result of undetermined causes. Deputy District Attorney Robert L. Cohen is quoted here. The body of Miss Spencer was in such an advanced state of decomposition that they were not able to describe the cause of death, so they have no finding. I love that. He's just like, ah, oh, bullshit. <laughs> they don't have anything. I mean, I can tell you. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to find any signs of foul play or suicide when the body's decomposed? Right. Unless it's like some obvious thing, like the skull has been bashed in or something. I can tell you right now and, what I think happened is I, I, I it was someone from the strip club who was probably stalking could her. Could be, you know, sure. He probably was stalking her, and uh, you know, he she wouldn't be with him. And I mean, it was a fucking uh, strip club by the airport. You know, what I mean, like, yeah. Like, what do you expect? You know, the clientele is not exactly going to be a bunch of Hugh Hefner's up up in there walking around with their smoking. Although jacket. it's although it's still. It's still in Hollywood, so they're probably still in LA. Holly weird, man. Holly weird. <laughs> so Anton could not believe that Crystal had died of natural causes. When I last saw her, she was a young woman with a cold. I was suspicious because of the way I was told the body was found in an obscure corner of her apartment, nude from the waist down. 
and I learned that the neighbors had heard terrible screams coming from her apartment that someone described as the sounds of torture. Yeah, and those screams were like the worst uh, stock footage yes. woman scream yes. I have ever heard. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe Unsolved Mysteries, a show of this caliber, used stock woman screams as the scream. Like, if you watch this segment and you hear the scream that they use, it is like the female equivalent to like the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> it's like you've heard that scream in so many movies and TV shows and stuff. Hell, I ha I've used. I've used that scream in like a YouTube video or two of mine. You can find it on, just type in woman scream on YouTube and this, that scream that they used in the thing, it'll, it'll come up in, in the show. Like I couldn't believe they went so cheap with that effect. And they used it over and over again, the same scream, like they like looped it and it was like so, uh, I don't know, I guess to the untrained ear and if you're not, at the time, you know, not everybody had video editing software as readily available as they do I now. I didn't know it was a stock scream. I just, you know. Oh, it, oh I yeah. I knew they repeated the scream multiple times, the same scream, but. Yeah, it is. It's a stock scream. For sure. That's like uh, all the police shows where in the background you always hear the. Like, they're. The amount of like cop shows where there's if there's a cop car or if it's supposed to be establishing like a crime scene, you always hear like over the little police radio, it's like beta something, 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 something. And it's like this female voice. And it's like the same clip every time. Like it's 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 a stock clip. And I guess they just expect people to not notice. There's like a child laughter clip I hear a lot, too. And a lot of <laughs> a stock child. It's like, ha ha ha. Like, I hear that one a lot as well. <laughs> it sounds just like that, too. It's a great depiction. Hey, dude, I could be a Foley artist. I mean, that's all I'm saying. So on May 7th, three days after Crystal had been home sick, two of her neighbors, Susan Aiken Taylor and Jet Taylor, were woken up around 4 a.m. by a strange crying sound. According to Susan, can you imagine it was just a baby laugh? <laughs> a baby laugh? <laughs> What? You get woken up to the baby laugh that you just did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be creepy as fuck. I lay there thinking someone's being tortured, someone's being hurt, something's going on. Jet Taylor, which is a name I can't even believe is real. Susan was very adamant about calling the police, but out of my fear of what I heard, I didn't want to get involved. Susan Aiken Taylor, I don't think I'll ever be able to live with the fact that I didn't call the police. If I had, maybe she would still be alive. Yeah, why didn't you call the police if you heard blood-curdling screams from the house next door? It was Los Angeles. That's a normal thing, apparently, in Los Angeles? I, I, I would think so. It's like, oh, that's just a blood-curdling scream, nothing to be alarmed about. <laughs> we hear that all the time. So someone's probably just watching a, uh, another slasher movie really loudly next door. Crystal's body was discovered a week after her neighbors heard the screams. They finally told their story to the police. Jet Taylor said the police officer seems disinterested. Wow. He just took my statement and my name and asked me for my driver's license and that was it. And he was just very nonchalant about it. Well, no wonder these police officers didn't do that much to solve this case, because they even get, like, a nice bit of evidence, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, uh, hi, give me your name. Um, well, it's yeah, like... Uh, driver's license. It's like the the, Kentu the Bordello murders um, in, in, what was it, Kentucky, where uh, the, uh, the prostitutes were murdered, and the cops, like, were literally, like... 
they could just care less. They couldn't care less, I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess in general, prostitutes just, their deaths just aren't really that. Well, she wasn't a prostitute. Yeah, she was a stripper. But I'm guessing there's some kind of, um, you know, their life isn't as as equitable as uh, quote unquote normal people. Now, I don't agree with it's, it's I don't agree with that either. And, and speaking about the stripper, you know, the stripper, the stripping aspect of this uh, particular case, the reenactments uh, are pretty funny because, you know, it's not you can't show anything. So it's just like this this actress just doing this dance on stage with like a shawl. Yeah, the the da- the the stripper scene was like just <laughs> notoriously bad. Um the mu- the music was just this awful like 80s like just kind of generic stripper music. Um It's it's hilarious. It was porno music. That's what it was. <laughs> I don't even think it was good porno music. It was I don't know what the fuck. It no, was. bad porno music, you know, music from a a, a bad cheap porno. Yeah, well, porno music's usually like boom, 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 yeah, in the seventies. This this was like doom, that, 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 that. It was I don't know. That that could be porno music in the eighties or the early nineties. I remember it was either the eighties or nineties. I remember there was like a lot of really great guitar soloing in pornos at one point, like on HBO <laughs> and shit. Like just the most passionate like guitar solos, like. That's hilarious. Just Fabio with like like wind blowing in his hair. He's just like <laughs> shredding this guitar solo as like, you know, the guy is humping the girl with his flaccid penis on HBO softcore porn because like they couldn't, you know, actually showtime. Yeah, they couldn't actually show like penetration. <laughs> so Crystal Spencer, Crystal's family are required to view the body several times. They requested to view the body several times, not required, but the coroner's office continually refused, claiming the body was in no condition to be seen. Anton was denied access to police records. However, in September of 1988, four months after Crystal's death, he was able to obtain the autopsy report. Anton says he was shocked by what he found. Crystal Spencer was barely five foot tall. The autopsy report claimed she was an amazing five foot seven. Crystal weighed approximately 105 pounds, the autopsy claimed the body is a well-nourished 140 pounds. I was stunned. I said, this is not the body of Crystal Spencer. Where is the real body of Crystal Spencer? That is a, a, a very puzzling detail. Uh, I don't think... That's not, I, like I, just, that's, that's not a minor mistake there. That's a pretty big mistake. I don't think it's that that major of a detail, honestly, because then they interview, like, what, the... It wasn't the coroner, but I forget who it was. But Oh, yeah, they, they interview a district attorney named Robert L. Cohen, and he says, we do have the remains identified by fingerprints from two different two different agencies, and those really eliminate any possibility of the coroner's autopsying the wrong remains. But why are why is the autopsy report so incorrect? Well, they well he went on to say, which they don't have here, but he went on to say, like, it, it, you know, the coroner is incredibly busy, and he said it was just an administrative error. Like, he just he just put in the wrong information um, by yeah, okay. accident. That makes sense. Yeah. But I can see why, I can see why Klein would be like, wait a second. 
Yeah, I could. Because I know I would be like that too. I'd be like, "What? This isn't correct at all." Right, but then after them telling him, "Well, the, you know, this is probably." But just he's a- still like, he, he's come to the conclusion that the police know more than they're admitting. Eh, well, I was t- told by one of the law enforcement official, bad things happen to bad girls. If that is the case, that's pretty fucked up, and I, 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 I don't find that shocking considering how horribly the police handled this case. And I said, "You mean bad girls die of natural causes?" And he said, "You know what I mean." And he hung up the phone. Jeez. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as them handling, like, oh, it's natural causes, case closed. Yeah, there was definitely, it's definitely uh, not high on the priority list, I will say, as far as the cops, like, solving the murder and all that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that that tone rings true with how I think they felt about it. Like, bad things happen to bad girls. I think that's how the cops looked at that situation. And, I mean... Shit, after watching that OJ Made in America docu- documentary, it's not like I have a lot of faith in the LAPD <laughs> for the most part. So, uh, so, so two weeks after Crystal's body was found, family and friends gathered for a private memorial service. Crystal's ashes were scattered beneath the famous Hollywood sign. Anson Klein is still searching for the truth. I'm angered that they are attempting to suppress the police reports in this case forever. We need to know what happened to her. It's important to all of us who cared about her to learn the truth. That's all we want, is the truth. I thought it was hilarious when they were scattering the ashes uh, under the Hollywood sign, because it reminded me of that scene in The Big Lebowski where they scatter, yeah. <laughs> they scatter Donnie's ashes from one of those old Folgers coffee tins, and the wind, the wind blows it right in their face. Yeah, it just blows the ashes all over Walter and the dude, <laughs> and they just get covered in it. And then, and then Walter's like talking about Vietnam again, and then the dude's like, God damn it, Walter! Not everything's about Vietnam, man! <laughs> damn, I can't believe how many lines you remember from these movies. I don't remember shit from them. So, uh, I, I love the comment section for this one. Oh, the, it, this is a this robust, guy, robust comment section on this case. You have this guy named Dave who has uh, his profile picture is from the poster for the movie The Exterminator 2. To all the people who think that they're Sherlock Holmes, if the boyfriend murdered her or somehow was somehow involved, wouldn't natural causes be the best thing for him? Murder isn't suspected, and basically he created the perfect crime. So if he did kill her, why, 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 why would he push for investigation? Common sense, people! <laughs> and the people that hear the screams that did nothing are just as guilty as the killer, assuming it was murder. I get not wanting to get involved, but ain't nobody asking you to be Dirty Harry. You dial 911. You tell them you hear screams coming from insert address here, and you're done. Okay, exterminator. <laughs> I love how you... Calm down. God, I love how you know what that what his little avatar profile picture, what movie that was from. Jesus Christ, Mike. If I'm ever involved in any like trivia thing and there's like any movie <laughs> aspect whatsoever, I'm getting your ass on my team. <laughs> Yeah, so this, this was, guy this... named Jorge just keeps responding to him, and then there's always other people. Or the man Jorge's like all over this. Yeah, he Jorge wrote a fucking novel on this. <laughs> or see, Jorge was another Anton. He he's probably another old guy who's like into like young chicks. He's like, well, actually, you guys should just back off of Anton. He had really good taste <laughs> in in women. I don't know. So yeah, I like that case. It was a solid case. Um, sol- classic yep. Unsolved Mysteries feel and flavor. Um, 
Yeah, like we had already done this uh, one of the stripper ones. I think the one you're thinking about is when we covered the vampire cults and we talked about the girl who was the stripper. Oh yeah, I kind of might have gotten them two two of them mixed up. Yeah, because we were making fun of the uh, like the stripper scene back then as well, and I said there are other segments in Unsolved Mysteries where they have to depict a strip club and they're always hilariously bad and uh, yeah, this was no exception. So, moving on, um, some some knowledge was dropped on us recently in our Unsolved, ooh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries group, I should say. I almost said Unsolved Mysteries group. It's not what it is, legally. Um, anybody who listens to this podcast for more than a few episodes knows that the Allagash abduction is, like, me and Mike's pretty much our favorite segment, like, equally, like, at the top. Uh, yeah, and somebody dropped an article in our group about how it was basically one of the one of the four guys involved in the abduction has like come forward and said that it was all a farce. It was made up for monetary gain. Uh, real quick, the Allagash abductions. Just to brief summary, is four guys: Chuck Weiner, uh. Was it Charlie Weiner? No, Charlie Weiner was... No, yeah, yeah, it's Charlie Foltz. Charlie Foltz, Chuck Weiner, Jim Weiner. No, Chuck... No, Chuck Rack. <laughs> I'm doing a great job summarizing. <laughs> You're not confused at all at this point. Anyway, <laughs> Charlie Foltz, Chuck Rack, Jim Weiner, and then another Weiner, his brother... Jack Weiner. Jack Weiner. There you go. Jack and Jim. Isn't that cute? These four men went into the Allagash Wilderness in, like, 1975 to go camping... And throughout the summer of 1976, there you go. And throughout their camping adventures, they eventually encountered when they were canoeing on a lake, they encountered a UFO and it started coming towards them very quickly. And then the last thing, the next thing they remember is their position. They try to communicate with it with a flashlight. Yeah. When they're in their canoe, they tried to communicate with it. They squeezed off some SOS signals and that got the thing's attention and then it started pursuing them. Next thing they remember, they're all standing on the shoreline posing as if they're for like posing for a portrait or something. They go back to their campsite. The fire that was once started that was supposed to rage for hours and hours was now just a, a dying kind of ember kind of thing going on. And they just all go to bed. Now, in their mind, all that had happened in the span of 30 minutes, but it was kind of a missing time thing, too, because... That fire was supposed to burn for a really long time, and, you know, they think they've only been gone for 30 minutes, and the fire's already out, so they, they have reason to believe that they were gone for much longer. And then they, they Jim and Jack Weiner start having nightmares uh, about being on a uh, alien spacecraft and a bunch of tests being performed on them, so on and so forth. So um, then they get together with Charlie Fultz and Chuck Rack, and, and they all go under hypnosis, and it's revealed that they're all having the same recollections. And it made for one of the scariest and one of probably the best uh, Unsolved Mysteries UFO cases. Uh, I think, in my opinion, merely for the hypnosis tapes and the illustrations, because the men all were going to art school in Massachusetts, and they were all really amazing artists. So they had these very vivid pictures that they drew of what these aliens looked like, what the rooms looked like, what was happening to them with the narration 
of what was happening while they were under hypnosis with the scary unsolved mysteries music underneath it as well it just made for a really great segment so now one of the guys chuck rack is coming out saying that it was a farce we have an article here i guess we need to take turns reading it yeah well before we get into this article i want to just kind of vent a little bit about it um Sure, you don't want to vent after we read the article. I I could I could, I could vent afterwards, okay. but it, it's just one of those things where I I honestly don't one hundred one hundred percent believe what Chuck is saying, uh, partic- particularly because later in this article we'll hear from the other one of some of the other three and how Chuck had these plans and things like that and other stuff that just makes me think he's just bitter. And he just wants to take it out on his former friends because they derailed some money train he wanted. And so he'll just uh, try to take everyone down. So speaking via telephone from a motel room in Bethany, Missouri on Wednesday, August 34th, 2016, Chuck Rack, one of four men who claimed aliens took them while canoeing on Big Eagle Lake in northern Maine 40 years ago, an incident which became internationally known as the Allagash Abductions, said that it did not happen. Quoting him, The reason I supported the story at first was because I wanted to make money, he said. Go ahead and take Rack, along with Charlie Foltz and twin brothers Jack and Jim Weiner, all students at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design, embarked on a vacation canoeing the Allagash Wilderness Waterway during the summer of 1976. However, Rack's input has been notably absent in the recent years from news stories and documentaries pertaining to the Allagash abductions. According to Rack on Wednesday, the group did, did witness an unidentified flying object during their canoe trip, both on the night of the alleged abductions and two nights before in Chamberlain Lake. Oh yes, I saw the craft, Rack said. He said the most vivid sighting occurred as the men were night fishing on Big Eagle Lake. Quote, I had an uncomfortable feeling of being stared at. I turned around and saw this very, very bright globe of light in the sky, he said. Rack described the lights as changing color from white to red to green in a liquid kind of melding motion. Rack said the group reported the bizarre experience the next day to a ranger on duty in the area, who Rack said quickly dismissed the sighting, attributing the lights as coming from a grand opening at a hardware store in the town of Millinocket. I find that hilarious. <laughs> He's <laughs> Andy Millinocket. <laughs> He said... No, I mean, just, just the grand opening of a hardware store. What, the hardware store and the Weird house song or something? Yeah. He said he uh, said that what we saw were guys operating a searchlight in the back of a pickup, Rack said. There was no way this could have been any hardware store grand opening at 9 o'clock at night coming from 75 miles away. Yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. I, I, I'm surprised that wasn't mentioned on the Unsolved Mysteries segment. Like, that's one little extra bit of information that I don't remember hearing, and I think that's pretty funny. There, it's just a yeah. typical skeptic response. They're kind of... The Unsolved Mysteries is kind of notorious at this point for, like, leaving out details that could be kind of vital. So according to Rack, the men continued with their trip and did not discuss the possibility of having been abducted by aliens until years later after Jim Weiner suffered a traumatic fall and began to experience seizures. It's Wiener, Mike. After suffering... Wiener, okay. So Jim Wiener suffered a traumatic fall and began to experience seizures. After suffering this fall, he started having these visions of humanoid beings levitating above his bed and poking with needles, Rex said. Jim... Oh, okay. <laughs> Jim Wiener... Jim Wiener. 
eventually shared his visions with renowned UFO researcher and author Raymond Fowler. Now, this Ray Fowler was also involved in the Missing Time segment on Unsolved Mysteries. Ray Fowler is kind of a big name in the UFO world. After which, the group underwent hypnosis with a man named Tony Constantino. Hey, Tony Constantino, breadsticks, pomerola, spaghetti. I'm allowed to say that because I'm Italian. During the regressive hypnosis session, both the Wieners and Fultz claimed to recall small gray aliens taking them aboard a spacecraft. They said the aliens then performed what they perceived to be medical examinations on the men. Rack now says his hypnosis experience led to no such recall on his part, although he previously claimed pu- publicly that it did. Which is Douche. kind of... Yeah, it's just... There's a lot of moments where these his story doesn't quite connect, which is why I'm still skeptical. Ray Fowler wrote a book about the case in 1993, The Allagash Abductions. A storm of media attention followed, including appearances by the Allagash Four, as the public dug, dubbed Rack, Fultz, and the Wiener Brothers, on the Joan Rivers show and an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. We were compelled to stay together, all speculating that... that eh. We were compelled to stay together, all speculating that this thing could go into the millions of dollars for each of us, Rack said. We made very little. Wow. Rack said that he and the others eventually had a falling out, after which he began telling people that the abductions never took place. He stopped short of describing the Allagash abductions as an outright hoax. I don't call it a hoax, just brilliant storytelling. It's just not the truth, but I have to admire the storytelling ability of these guys. See, this is just this is just shitting on my dreams right now because like I It's wrecking your dreams. I don't like any of what I'm hearing. Welcome to the boulevard of broken dreams, Josh. (laughs) So Rack challenges what many believers of the Allagash abductions consider a key element of the case, the lost time the men allegedly experienced. The men all claim that when they set out fishing on Big Eagle Lake the evening of the UFO sighting. They had left a large fire burning at their campsite as a beacon to guide them back to shore during the pitch black night. However, when they returned to the campsite, the fire had burned down much faster than they thought it should have given the amount of time they thought they had spent out on the water. Rack now dismisses this suggestion as complete manure. Which you probably said complete shit. Yeah. It was certainly a big fire. I agree with that. He said those logs were maybe three inches. Some of them could have had could have been almost three and a half inches. That's the biggest that they could have been. And most of them were smaller. And as such, in that condition, those pieces of wood would have burned off very quickly. Fultz, in a telephone conversation from his Massachusetts home on Thursday, September the 1st, claimed differently. Some of the wood we put on there was about the diameter of my leg. I would say at least a good 10 inches in diameter easily. Rack also said during the August 31st interview that he and other members of the group had used recreational drugs oh on the night of the alleged abduction. I remember Jack brought some Afghan temple ball with him to share with the rest of us. He said, yeah, we were definitely stoned when we went out on the lake just before we got Man, that Man, this sight. guy, Chuck Rack is such a fucking douche. He's like doing everything he can to like discredit every aspect of the story. Yeah, it just sounds like he's going way out of his way, which is why I'm skeptical of his... He's like he's like taking everything this. that 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 like our hallmarks. Nope, that didn't happen. Yeah, nope. This didn't we were happen. high. We were drunk. Uh, the the fire was only twigs. That we only used twigs. You know, even though we were these like experienced campers, we found these tiny ass little sticks and used those. We didn't use logs. It's all lies. You know what a fucking dick. You know. 
According to Rack, he felt conflicted when others asked him whether the group had been under the influence of drugs or alcohol on the night of the encounters. I remember being on the Joan Rivers show. Joan was asking, were you guys drinking or taking drugs? Fortunately, I was sitting furthest away from her. Jim Weiner was right next to her, and he had to field that question and lie, and I didn't have to lie. So he's just saying Jim Weiner was lying. Fultz denies any drug use among the Allagash Four during the outing. No, he said Thursday. We bought an eight-pack of beer in Millinocket when we bought all of our supplies for the canoe trip. We each had one beer at Telos Landing the very first night, and we each had one beer at Fort Kent the last day of our canoe trip, he said. We carried those eight bottles in, and we carried those eight bottles back out. Fultz described Rack as a man with a violent temper who has been banned from some UFO conventions. We definitely steer clear of him because the guy's a loose cannon in a mental disaster area, Fultz said of Rack. Jesus Christ. Jim, Jim Weiner also dismisses Rack's new claims. I personally believe that Mr. Rack's self-aggrandizing rationalizations and disparaging accusations are simply the rantings of an angry and resentful individual on whom his former friends have turned their backs, he wrote in a September 5th email. Another thing that strikes me is like, if you see it, if you have a UFO story and like, I guess you get on like Unsolved Mysteries or like a talk show talking about it, are you just like an honored guest at UFO conventions after that? Do you become like a UFO <laughs> celebrity at that point? Probably. And like, what do you want to be a UFO celebrity? Well, Jim? no, it's just funny to me that these like these people <laughs> who like literally all they have is like, and I believe a lot of their stories, but I mean, at the end of the day, all they've really done is they've they have a story. That's all they got. And and, and that gives them like this red yeah. carpet. So so you're like, you're like, abduct me, aliens. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Probe my ass so I can be a, yeah, I can be invited to UFO conventions. Yeah, exactly. Abduct me. I need more subscribers on my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> so um Fowler initially agreed to be interviewed for this story Ray Fowler the guy who put the men um under hypnosis and the, the guy who wrote the book or whatever which I'm sure these four guys got royalties from in some form or another yeah. for their story um that's how it always usually works or, or if Ray Fowler bought the rights to their story rather is what usually happens so I'm sure they split whatever amount they got you know for the story um so fowler initially agreed to be interviewed for this story but later sent an email indicating that he would not take part if chuck rack did fowler wrote on august 29th chuck rack did not have very detailed recall of the abduction under hypnosis he is the type of person who needs to be in control he was not happy not being able to have detailed recall of the abduction portion of the incident thus several years after the investigation he claimed that no one was abducted, which is, yeah, you know, I, that's a way for him to cope with it. But you'd have to be a like a really big narcissist to be like, oh, I don't remember it. Therefore, it didn't happen to anybody. It, well, there's definitely people out there like that. And from what I've heard about Chuck from his other friends who probably know him more than I, I do or you do. Sounds like he is that type of person. Yeah, or they're all so, trying to like save face to like keep this whole yeah. money thing going on. Yeah, that could be the case too. But I mean, it just seems rather convenient. All the yeah, it does because like has. like Chuck didn't get as as big of a slice of the pie or something. Because like to my knowledge, the Wiener brothers 
were like the first to really get it, get the ball rolling with everything. Yeah. So maybe they're getting so a larger portion. Jim Weiner relayed an incident which he claims took place shortly after the Joan Rivers interview, during which he says Rack tried to convince the men of a new way to capitalize on the case. Charlie Fultz and I were visiting Jack and his wife Mary at their home in Vermont. One morning, Mr. Rack arrived at the house and declared he had a plan to make a million dollars on the Allagash case. His proposal was that all four of us refute the professional handling of the case by Raymond Fowler, Tony Constantino, and MUFON, the Mutual UFO, UFO Network, thereby creating controversy, which was in Mr. Rack's mind exactly what the media and the public crave, and pay for, Jim Weiner wrote. In response to his proposal, Jack, Charlie, and I all voiced our disgust with his ethics and his proposal and announced our unanimous decision to have no further interaction with him regarding future Allagash projects. Unfortunately, we later forgave his inebriated indiscretion and appeared together on a couple of TV projects and UFO conferences. But it was glaringly clear to Jack, Charlie, and I that Mr. Rack's behavior was becoming increasingly pathological. Okay, two things I want to that I want to point out here. The first thing is I love the, the I love the line his inebriated indiscretion and also, yeah, I love and, that and I love pairing that with the line that. Uh, Mr. Rack arrived at the house and declared he had a plan to make a million dollars in the Allagash case. So this guy's like stumbling up into the yard with like a 40 ounce <laughs> in his hand going, hey, I got a plan to make millions of dollars on this Allagash. No, fucking hear me out, Charlie. You don't put your fucking hand on me, Jim <laughs> Weiner, which is a penis, by the way. Uh, so listen, we're going to discredit Ray Fowler and the MUFON network and we're going to make a million dollars. And then, like, the second thing I like to point out is, like, this is the most, like, lawyery, lawyeries sounding, like, language in this article, you know? Because, like, people don't, people yeah. don't talk like this in real life. Um, nobody says, in response to his proposal, Jack, Charlie, and I voiced our disgust with no, his ethics know. and his proposal and announced our unanimous decision to have no further interaction with him regarding future Allagash yeah, projects. Some, some people kind of talk oh, like come that. come on. Nobody talks like that. And if you're just hanging out with a bunch of your buddies, no one's going to say, Mike, uh, I have, it has been our unanimous proposal that we yeah, decline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to talk like that at that moment. But, like, when you're interviewed, sure. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just very lawyery sounding, like, the, the language of all this. Yeah, but what what's the alternative? Well, I'm like, I'm just I'm I mean, I'm not saying you know I'm not stating an opinion of it. I'm just like pointing it out that I think it's funny that clearly this the, clearly they got a lawyer involved at some point in this juncture, and what, you're not going to get a lawyer yeah. involved unless well, there's well, money Jim, involved. Jim sounds a lot more intelligent. He sounds like he's got his shit together because of how he's wording what he's saying here, while Chuck just sounds like he's just. Babbling. Did he have his shit together enough to fabricate a UFO sighting? Possibly. I don't know. Both Jack. I don't think. I don't think uh, Chuck Rack's uh, allegations are enough proof for me to completely discredit this entire thing. Both Jack Weiner and Ray Fowler said they completely agreed with Jim Weiner's statement regarding Rack's behavior. Rack did not dispute Weiner's description of the events following the alleged abductions and claims it freed him to finally share the truth about that evening in 1976. Quote, when I was kicked out of the group, I felt a release. I was at liberty to tell the truth, he said. I don't have any sterling character pr to preserve, clearly. Clearly you do not. Fultz and the Wiener brothers stand by the abduction story. 
Jack, Charlie, and I, after all these years, are still in agreement with the Eagle Lake event as we three remember it. We also accept the results of the hypnotic, the hypnotic regression sessions and subsequent polygraph tests as supportive of an abduction scenario, Jim Wiener wrote. Fultz shared his reasoning for why those living on other planets might want to visit Earth and abduct humans. Because we are at the apex or the top of the chain as far as we think of intelligent life on our planet, we go out to the wilds of Africa and dart animals and study them. We do it so we can learn more about them and how we impact their world and just what their purpose in our world is. And, and I would presume extraterrestrial life forms have several, similar interests. Rack says he does not dispute that alien abductions are possible. I'm completely open-minded about it. It's just I don't think it happened in our case. <sighs> Douche. Douche. <laughs> Chuck Rack, you were, you were just... You were just a whistleblower or or trying to be a whistleblower of something that I don't know. I'm not going to lie. So what do you think? It 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 could have happened. I I it's kind of like when Michael Richards, like the guy who played Kramer on Seinfeld when he went into the laugh factory and started saying the N-word left and right and it's like Seinfeld was never the same for me after that whenever I'd watch Kramer's character. I'd be like, he, he's, he's, he's a racist inside, or he at least has that in his heart. And it's kind of similar to this case now. It's like, if I go back and watch that case, like in the back of my mind, even though I don't want to believe it, in the back of my mind, there's always going to be Chuck Rat going, yeah, this shit didn't happen. It's all made up. These guys are just good storytellers. They're really good storytellers. I mean, it, it taint, it, I'm not going to lie. It taints it for me a little bit. But thankfully, uh, Unsolved Mysteries is an amazing show, and they still have so many great segments that if one case is tainted, oh, well, I still have a bunch of others that I like and fully believe in. But I know you have a take on it as well. Well, I, I, it just everything just seems like a lot of the... With the whole Seinfeld thing, like, I don't know. I mean, it, it's one of those things where... He's playing a character, so I don't really look at Kramer as being racist. And then there's other characters in the show that I'm able to that aren't racist. So I'm, I don't I I don't really think about that when I'm watching the show. Um, when I see Michael Richards doing stand up, absolutely. But uh, talking about comparing that with this case and comparing it to other things, like for example the 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 Alagash four, like the four guys, like the the hypno the hypnotist guy is the guy who wrote the book and there were they they had they collaborated with him but they weren't the ones that actually wrote it which makes me not think that it's the same thing as like ghost boy which is clearly just fabricated nonsense yeah by this mother to uh make some money and get on TV and it's just how this is happening like years later, like years and years, like almost on the anniversary of things like this article was posted like on 2016. So like 30, 30, 40 years later, all of a sudden, 40 Chuck years, it's like, no, it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, and also it's just how he meticulously picks apart each aspect of the case and uh the other three's recollection of it 
that just it just it just seems like too good to be true to me in the other extent you know too good to be true when it comes to his just absolute wherewithal of everything and the fact that not just one but all three are collaborating the whole drunken tirade that he had so it just makes me think that this is just his way to to still have some kind of impact on all of this and the only way he could do that since he's been kicked out of the group is to be the tell-all guy, to be all like, to to pull the rug out from underneath them and do everything he can to discredit everybody. Yeah, yeah so money, money, him look, money corrupts, you know, it, it corrupts absolutely, as they say. Or Yeah, I, I think he started uh, this plan in motion the moment when they turned down his drunken proposal. <laughs> I got a plan to make some money. Um... He's a really talented artist, though. He's got they got an oil painting on here that he did of himself, and like these guys. Are you sure it's of himself? I thought it was from somebody yeah, else. It says a self-portrait oil painting of artist and famed alien abductee oh, okay. Chuck Rack. I mean, these guys like are their artistic levels are just like out of this world. Yeah, they're out of this world. That's what's really out of this. World. He might have actually been abducted, but like they said, he doesn't really have that much of a recollection of it. Because of maybe how maybe his mind his his brain has like just completely just shut off that portion of his memory. I don't know. It 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 just it just kind of taints it now that he even went out and 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 said those things. Somebody who is so. I mean, that's probably happened before for a lot of other cases. If you look into it, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other cases where someone's like, "Yeah, no, that that didn't happen." Yeah, I mean, for somebody who was so key, you know, he was part of the four, man. He was in the band, and one of the guys in the band is now yeah. defecting. It's kind of like, ah, it'll never be the same. But, I don't know, I'll still enjoy watching. No, it won't. It's Allagash 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 3. And then there were three. All right, that's all the time I think we have for this week, folks. Uh, we'll We'll pick up next week with more entertaining stuff to put into your ears. Uh, you can find me and Mike on YouTube separately, but equally. You can find Mike, uh, youtube.com slash OCP Communications. He does movie reviews. What's What was your last video you put out, Mike? Put out a review of The Shape of Water. You you enjoyed that one, correct? Yes, I thought it was an amazing film. Right on. So uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts. Uh, I just recently posted my thousand subscriber special because I just recently hit a thousand subscribers uh, like a week ago. Well, isn't that special? Oh, it's so special. Now I can hang out in the thousand subscriber club with my cardboard YouTube play button. Fiddle, fiddle DD. <laughs> <laughs> fiddle DD. So uh, check that out if you want to. Um, but yeah, as for me and Mike, that's all the time we have. We hope you have a nice, safe uh, week ahead of you. And I love you and goodbye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to remind you that my album, Koyana Scotsy, is still out for uh, purchase on CD. I got about 15 CDs left, so if you want an actual hard copy, you might want to get on that soon. Uh, I can sign it for you, whatever you want. I don't know if I'm going to do a second run on those or not. And the album digitally is available on iTunes and anywhere else where you can buy digital music. Thanks.
But no, uh, these religious people knocked on my door at like 11 o'clock in the fucking morning and woke me up because I work nights and I'm, I'm asleep during 11. And um, yeah, this has happened like the past like two days. People have knocked on my door for some reason or another. I guess the no soliciting sign is losing its like it's Superman like powers and it's weakening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, they um, they put these two like brochures in my door, the crack of my door. One was some ad for their church, and then the other one was this like little business size card, but it's got uh, the YouTube logo on the top, and it's got like it almost looks like a screen capture of search results, but it's got like their church videos that they're trying to promote, like huh. um, like uh, after the tribulation full movie, and it's got like oh that kind of stuff, yeah, like new whole, world like- new world order Bible versions. Marching Ooh. to Zion, full movie, and and it has like these That's just nutty craziness. Yeah, it's got like these uh, mock up uh, views. It'll say it looks like it looks like a legit screen capture of a YouTube thing, but it says like two million five hundred fifty five thousand views for After the Tribulation full movie. It's like yeah, uh huh. I'm sure it's got that many views, <laughs> but it's it was an interesting gimmick nonetheless. You know, because I was like thinking. Well, what if I did a, a card like that, but with my videos and it's even got a little search bar at the top of the card with like highlighted in yellow what you're supposed to type in uh, it, for this. It's the Bible way to heaven, I guess, for these videos to come up. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> OK. Yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> I don't give that, a fuck. That'll be. <laughs> you don't give a shit. I don't get just use. The... I don't give a care. I don't give a care. I don't give a. I don't give a. I don't give a care. You're gonna be like that. Uh, that little girl when she did the rap or whatever. And uh, I think bad. The first bad moms is like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about you. Oh yeah, that Big Sean song. Yeah, that 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 fucking weird ass song that was barely even a song, really. Are you talking about it? You're talking about I don't fuck with you. Yeah, I don't yeah. fuck with you. Yeah. Little stupid ass bitch. I fucking with you. Yeah, it's just a very, um, it's a very juvenile song, Mike. It's very juvenile because only little kids think it's cool to, uh, little kids and us are the only two groups of people that think it's cool to cuss that much. As we will see from the bad reviews that we will be reading later on. Um, I'm ready, are you? Yeah, I guess. Well, that's fine. I'll do most of the talk, and I've done a lot of research on all this shit. You can just sit back and be a warm body today. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I, I've, I'm just kind of frustrated with this thing, photo edit thing, because I had it perfect, and then I have to re-fucking do it. Well, I, I certainly appreciate the fact that your OCD is as strong as mine, and you feel like you need to get it perfect before doing other things. Because, you know, the OCD is real with me. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. This is okay. 79. Yes, it is 79. 